Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. I was 19 years old when I took a preaching class, and Dr. Brown emphasized gathering in people's attention at the very beginning. So feast your eyes. You'd been through a drive-through many times before. Minimum wage employees and the customer service that tends to come with minimum wage employees. Is the floor clean? I mean, come on, isn't clean relative? But then one day, somebody who loved you very much said, Have you been to Chick fil A? And you said, Chick-fil-A, what's that? And the expression, their nonverbals said, oh, I must try this, let alone when they told you about Polynesian sauce and waffle fries and sweet tea. In California, no less, before McDonald's was doing it. So you decided to go, and everybody there was nice to you, their uniforms were clean, like they, they ironed their shirt today. And they got your order right. And when you said thank you for something, they said, You're My pleasure. It was your pleasure? This whole thing? I thought it was my pleasure. I've been enjoying myself. It's clean and nice. Everybody's nice to me. I think you got my order right. I think we're good to go. Later on, this food is tasty. And this whole thing, it was your pleasure? Wow. And you realized, oh my goodness, this is different. I've done the Wendy's thing. I've done the Jack in the Box thing. This is different. Fundamentally different. Not just the food. Every little detail is different. Christians, this is what the church is supposed to look like and feel like and smell like. Uh, others have tried to give me answer for life's biggest questions, but man, this, this is different. Something's different here. Others have talked about marriage and relationships, but this, is, this isn't the same. This isn't the same. There's something different going on here. It would not take a long time for me to rattle off and make the argument that our world is horrifyingly divided um, our country, hor- horrifyingly divided. Trigger warning. I'm going to say some of these out loud. Is our country 0% racist? Is our country 100% racist? Or somewhere on a continuum in between? Division much? Division. Oh, yeah. 
Who sees the world rightly? Liberals or conservatives? Division much? Okay. Should I trust someone when they say, quote, the science says? Yeah, you're chuckling. That, that one, you get bludgeoned with, with science all the time like it's a hammer. That one's fun. Is my gender a social construct that I can choose? Division much? Or the most important one? How many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll center of a Tootsie Roll pop? You guys were there. How many? Three. Three times and then bites down? It was three. Yeah. Okay. So here's my premise that's already printed out in your notes. And this is the foundation of where we're starting today. Division in our world is so incredibly normal. Accordingly, unity might be exactly what the world needs to see in the church in order to find Christ desirable. Aren't you glad you came to church today? We tackle small topics around here. Let's let it sink into our brains one more time. Division in the world is so normal. Unity might be exactly what the world needs. It might be what Citrus Heights needs. It might be what California needs. It might be what America needs to see in the church of Jesus Christ, Christians, the saints. The world needs to see it in the saints in order to find Christ desirable. What if? What if? If you've been with us, you know we are working through a 10-week series called Victory based out of this. Jesus, when he went to the cross and when he raised himself to new life, he gained victory over a bunch of different things. And to make it even better, he hands that victory as a free gift to anyone who would trust in him to wash away their sins. So the church inherits these victories. And today we're talking about victory over division. Church, do you know that you and I have victory over division and disunity? Did you know that? Might be hard to feel it sometimes, but we have it. And we're going to talk about it today. If you need a copy of God's Word, please put a hand up and we're going to be passing them around right now. I want to make sure everybody's got a Bible in their hand. If you do not own a Bible, this one is our gift to you. Keep it, take it home, and turn to page 978 in that hardback. Everybody else, you know your way around the Bible, go to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. We're going to be in a lot of scriptures very briefly today to talk about unity and where it comes from. But if there's one passage that we can just read through slowly and carefully and, and drink out some joy from it, it's Ephesians 2, even if we're not going to be there the whole time. So we're going to read this one together. Ephesians 2, starting at verse 11. words of Paul. We're going to do 11 through 22. 
And since we're not going to park, and I'm not going to teach my way line through line through this text, I just want you to, as we read, ask yourself questions about unity. Where does, where does the church's unity come from? Let alone, where does division come from? To Christians, don't forget you Gentiles, okay? People who did not grow up in church. Used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews. Anybody here ever got called that one in high school? That is rough. Who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant. You did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when he, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. If you're new to church, if Jesus can reconcile Jew and Gentile, he can reconcile anybody. That's the point, okay? Verse 15 He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. You hear that? I'm not denying that you have historical beef. I'm not denying that he said that or she said that or they killed some of your people or you killed some of their people. I'm not denying any of that. I'm not erasing the past. I'm reconciling in the present. Holy cow. Okay. 16, together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility toward each other was put to death. Do we believe that? I don't even have to preach. I just read what Paul said. Our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through, whom, through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. God, thank you for your word. and Teach us your word today. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. God's people said. Amen. So this question, where does the church's unity come from? This is going to be the meat of the sermon today. It is my expectation, although I could be wrong, that if you've got a background in church, you might not learn anything new today. Anybody ever been in a sermon where you didn't learn anything? I don't put your hands up. Some of this is going to be painfully obvious. I keep using the analogy of uh, physical health because I think we can all relate. 
I know theoretically to eat more vegetables, to not eat out, don't drink my sugars, and exercise more. I know all of those things, but have I done it? And that's sometimes how the Bible feels to those of us who have been reading it for a little while or who have been taught it for a little while. Today, I'm going to share the shocking announcement that the church should be one. If you're new to church, that might pique your curiosity and go, oh, well, that's cool. I didn't know that. But for the rest of us, it's like somewhere between, okay, I'm going to check the scores on ESPN or, right? Or, oh, no, a guilt trip because we're not doing it. (laughs) But I ask you to stay with me because things that we already know in our head can still be really beautiful. Who here has been really, really blessed. Reading a passage, you know you've read it a hundred times before, but then God smacks you with it and heals you. Anybody ever experienced that? Okay. That's because the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, and it is doing work inside you, inside me. Okay? So I want to ask you to push against that whole, oh, yeah, yeah, the church is supposed to be unified. I know that already. Yeah, but lay back down on the table and see what the Lord, the great physician, might just do. Let's, let's see what he just might do. Your first blank. One place that the church gets unity, we have one creator. He made you. He made me. You can look at this in a lot of places. Genesis 1 and 2 are probably the simplest places to go. Romans 9.21, Paul uses a really interesting image about the creator-created relationship. And it has to do with Christians when we start whining. I know Christians never whine, but Paul seems to think that we whine. And he said, "Um, doesn't the potter have rights over the clay? Is the clay allowed to say, hey, why have you made me for a great purpose or why have you made me for a common purpose? Doesn't the creator have rights? is the central argument. It's a rhetorical question. Of course the creator has rights. And I've been saying to you guys for almost three years now, we hate it when God has rights. Because I've claimed all the rights for myself, and when the Bible tells me God has rights, it's something that gets ripped away from me. It gets ripped out of my hands. God has rights. And life is actually better that way. (laughs) He made us. So, brother and sister in Christ, you want to hate each other, you want to fight each other, block each other on Facebook, send nasty emails. You know the same Father created both of you, right? That's got to mean something. Or this. You know you have the same father through adoption, right? You have the same creator. You have the same father. Look at what Paul said in Romans 8. Christians, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Oops. I thought I went to verse 17. You hear that? One father, through adoption, 
And Paul told us the bad news earlier. He used to not be our father. Jesus also said it to the Pharisees. You guys listen to the voice of your father. You're really good at listening to the voice of your father. What, our father is Abraham? Mm, not so much. There's this guy, the devil. You operate like him. You think like him. You burn with anger at the things that he burns with anger. You have a father, all right. And Paul says, hey, church, you've been adopted. All of you. How much humility does it give to say my entire birthright was given to me as a free gift? I was not born with it. I was chosen. Now grace is everywhere. It's all grace. It's not entitlement. My father chose me. Oh, and here's the harder part. Are you ready? Oh, the person you want to fight with? Your father chose them too. Question. This isn't in the notes. Do I have the right to blatantly disregard and write off somebody for whom Christ died? Or let me say it this way. If Jesus didn't quit on her, why are you quitting on her? I'm not saying don't have boundaries. I'm just saying don't quit. Sometimes we think and when we can't even do relationship with somebody anymore that, that's quitting and that's not true, we can pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. I don't get to write you off because Jesus has not written you off. And vice versa. If you're new Emily and I's first kid came to us through adoption. Something I didn't know ahead of time in the process is that we were going to be presented with a state of California birth certificate. We have it. With Emily's name on it. As if she gave birth to Cabrino. As if she was there in the hospital that day in East Sac. Legally speaking, the state of California says that Emily was in the room and that Emily gave birth to Cabrina. And it has the full force of law. How strong do you think your connection is to the Father through Jesus Christ? Do you think you're second rate because you were adopted? Do you think you're an add-on like the Cinderella story that we all grew up with? Are you going to be used and abused because I didn't ask for you? God did ask for you. He chose you. He picked you. He adopted you. And he adopted the person next to you as well. He chose you by his mercy to display his power. And he chose that other person as well if they are in Christ. Do you think that my heart, not you guys, you guys don't sin all the time, I just do. Do you think that my heart 
would be more loving and gracious and unified with the rest of the church if I could keep in my heart and keep in my mind the unbelievable price that Jesus paid to make adoption possible. Do you think I'd be more gracious with you if I could feel that unity? We have one savior if we're in Christ. One, look at the way, and we're just taking one small piece of what Paul's arguing with a divided church in Corinth. Has Christ been divided into factions? That's because they're dividing themselves into factions, and he's going, this is insane, folks. Was I, Paul, crucified for you? That's a rhetorical question, right? You can't form team Paul because Paul didn't die for you. You can't say, I'm on team Apollos. Apollos didn't die for you, right? There are not multiple teams. One savior. That's what he's saying. One savior. We just celebrated a moment ago. Right before he went to the cross for the church. He used an ancient image from Levitical law of a piece of unleavened bread, symbol of sinlessness, and broke it, and it was consumed, ingested by everybody present. They needed it and his blood. One cup, drank out of the same cup. Where are my germaphobes at? Yeah, Jesus passed around one cup of wine, and they all drank from it. One Savior. Citrus Heights needs to see unity in the church of Jesus Christ. And if we'll keep looking into the word, we'll see so many things that give us unity. If we'll see them, remember them, focus on them, build our lives on them. The church has one message. Did you know that? Have I ever put an entire book of the Bible as the reference? Read Galatians and you'll know why. <laughs> the entire book of Galatians. One message. Even if an angel from heaven comes with a different message than the one I preached to you, he's forever accursed. Do not listen. Stop going back to your old ways of trying to be good enough on your own. You're saved by grace alone. This is the message we preach. People are reconciled to the Father by grace alone, through faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the message of the church. If you are traveling to a faraway land and Christianity took a very different form there and you walked in on a Sunday morning, they might be in a different language and you have to read a translation off of a bulletin or they might sing very different songs than what you're used to. But when somebody who speaks English helps you and they say what the message was about and they say things like, Jesus died on the cross to wash away our sins and we can have that forgiveness if we freely receive it. Then you go, oh, these are my people. That whole thing was in Arabic, but these are my people. That's the message. My whole life is built around. That's the message that created me spiritually. I was reborn by that message. These are my people. These are my people. Couldn't think of a great analogy for this, but I'm going to do my best. 
not saying this ever happens in your household, but sometimes, just sometimes, when a child wants to know what their bedtime is, every once in a while, the child might, if they don't like the answer that they got from mom, might go find dad and say, Daddy, what time do I have to go bed, to bed tonight? Now, like all analogies, it, it breaks down quickly. Um, but as far as we can take it, let's take it. Mom and dad are one if mom and dad have the same message. Okay? The message might be 8 o'clock. The message might be 7.30. The message might be, oh, you're in big trouble for going to another parent after getting your answer. But if the message is the same, there is unity. If the message is the same, there's unity. You know what else gives the church unity? The next slide does. That's what gives the church unity. Oh, come on, that was funny, folks. All right, one mission. One mission. What are you up to? If you're a Christian, well, you're, you're, up, to, you're up to something. You know what you're up to, right? Any Christians in the room, can you tell me what you're up to? It's cheating, folks. The verse is on the, yeah. <laughs> you're going to make disciples who make disciples. Who make disciples who make disciples. Teaching them to obey all that Christ commanded. Do these guys have one mission? If you look closely, there are at least four cigars in that picture. Yes, that used to be allowed indoors at work. Okay, help the millennials and Gen Z. Tell them what we're looking at. Huh? NASA. Apollo 13. This is where they found out everything's going to be okay. Now leave it to men and our terrible non-ability to multitask. But do these guys eat, sleep, drink, and breathe one thing for a very long time? Uh, uh, what do you do? I'm a mathematician. What are you here for? Trying to get people safely to the moon and back. What do you do? Oh, I'm a physicist. That's cool. What are you trying to do? I'm trying to safely get people to the moon and back. What do you do? Oh, I'm an accountant for NASA. Oh, you don't have to work that hard at all. You've got all the money in the world. What are you trying to do? I'm trying to get people to the moon safely there and back. Brothers and sisters, greeters, ushers, Sunday school teachers, your elders, the staff, people who get up here on the stage and sing, people back in that sound booth working very hard to manage technological chaos. What do you do? I clean up after Bible day camp. What are you trying to do? Make disciples. Who make disciples? Who make disciples? Well, if you're new to the Bible... Let's read it. 
Jesus came and told his disciples, this is right after he is killed, buried, dead, and ascended to new life, raised to new life. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So Christians, you have one mission. It's not the mission of your pastors and elders. It's not the mission of the staff. It's not the mission of the super Christians. The church of Jesus Christ, universal over thousands of years, languages, tribes, tongues, and people, we have one mission, and this gives us unity. What are you up to? We're all up to the exact same thing. We're not hiding it. You know what else gives the church unity? One spirit. The Holy Spirit of Christ living inside every believer. One spirit. Sometimes, when you're around children who've had some sugar, maybe espresso, you can tell, especially if you know the child. I know their normal temperament, and their tiny little body probably was given an obscene amount of sugar by grandma, who can be the party for two hours, then leave, not deal with the consequences. Don't look at me, grandmas, like you don't do it. (laughs) You're around children, you know their normal temperament, you see them bouncing off the walls and you go, there's something inside you that has changed things. Because I know normal, and this is not normal. Did somebody give this kid some Java detour? Some Starbucks, some Dutch Brothers, some Leather Bees. Who put a legal substance inside this child? Boing, 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 boing. And that is supposed to be what our city and our world sees. When they see love that has a special power to it, can't be explained, people go, there's something there. When they see generosity that can't quickly or easily be explained, they're supposed to go, hmm, there's something, I'm seeing it, she did it, and she's that way, and he's that way, and these Christians, man, there's something that they've got that makes things different. And Paul told us, some of us have been to church our entire lives. Some of us are new to church right now. Some are slaves. Some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit.
The Holy Spirit of God lives inside somebody when we trust Christ to wash away our sin. So how am I going to do disunity with you? How am I going to fight with you like we're on two different teams? When we literally, the same deity is living inside both of us, trying to teach us how to love and be humble and merciful. How's this going to work? Or maybe, maybe let me be a little more assertive. It's not going to work. The Holy Spirit is going to teach you how to love whether you like it or not. So why don't you quit fighting? Why don't I quit fighting him? Unity sounds so hard, it sounds impossible, and so we quit. I'm testifying here. I'm not preaching at you guys. I feel like it's so unattainable, I find myself quitting. But who am I really quitting on? I'm not quitting on Facebook, friends. I'm not quitting on any of you. I'm not quitting on myself. I am quitting on the Holy Spirit of the living God who's never lost a battle. If you love Jesus, you have the same Holy Spirit inside you as other Christians that you might have conflict with, you might have a disunity. What else gives the church unity? Do you know we have one destiny? Did you know that? We're so obsessed with the present, we don't think a lot about the future. Look at this picture of heaven this great multitude of people forgiven by Jesus. And they sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people from God, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So the people... The ransomed ones from every tribe, the ransomed ones from every language, the ransomed from every people group will give praise and glory forever and ever and ever to the one who was slaughtered on their behalf. Brothers and sisters, you have one destiny, and that destiny has a lot to do with your one Savior. We who love Jesus Christ have one trajectory. The Holy Spirit is in us and he is going to win sooner or later. Christ is our head, the head over the entire body, the leader, the one in control, the monarch. He's going to get what he wants. He's going to make you and I holy. He's going to make us more loving than we are. He's going to make us more gentle than we are. He's going to make us more courageous than we are. Because it's not your victory, it's his. And he's given it freely as a gift. So let's talk about your next step. This isn't going to be on the slides. This is in your sermon notes. Four different calls to action. They happen to neatly coincide with our core values. But don't tell anyone. Connect, grow, serve, and go are the core values of ARCF. And there are blanks to make sure that you're still paying attention. And this actually doubles as our announcements. So I'm going to pray for us after this and send you to go do these things. Some of you might rush off to lunch. I hope not. I hope that you do one or more of these things in response to God's word.
One way to connect in authentic relationships, join a summer disciple group that has people in it you don't know very well. Why should I do that? Because there is no unity without relationships. There is no unity without relationships. No such thing as a solo Christian. It's an oxymoron. The disciple group signups are back there next to the Bible Day Camp signups, and groups launch starting tonight. Summer groups go May, June, July, and they start tonight. We've got um, two Wednesday groups in particular that still have space. Go back there, sign up. The De Beers are hosting. The Kaisers are hosting. We're going to have a good time. Um, Neil also shot me an email to let me know. Basically, those two groups are doing something very similar. Their Bible study topic is going to be the practical ins and outs of daily Christian living. So it's going to be hyper-practical. Uh, it's going to be very, very good. Um, secondly, awake it, you can create unity in, as a part of growing in Christian maturity. This is the one you're going to like the least, by the way. Follow on Facebook five Christians who drive you bananas. How often do you get to write the word bananas in your sermon notes? When their posts anger you, stop to ask Jesus why anger is your response. Then ask Jesus to grow you and to bless the other person. Sorry. Why? Because there can be no unity without the killing of our own pride. That's why. How can we pursue unity while we serve God and others? Find your role in Bible Day Camp. Find your role in Bible Day Camp. Service is a way to practically express our unity of mission. If you guys have one mission, then go do it together, right? There are few opportunities like Bible Day Camp to all get together immediately before, during, and after. I know some of us work during the day and you go, oh, it's easy to go, oh, I can't even be a part, I can't even help. That's simply not true. There are arts and crafts that can be prepped ahead of time. There's food and shopping, prayer team, decorating, can all be done in advance. After the fact, cleanup. And during, we still have some spots open. Praise God, all of our Bible teacher spots are filled. Thank you, Bible teachers. We still have spots where we need assistance. This just means, can you be there and help, you know, herd cats? Just provide a gentle, loving presence while the the teacher leads, okay? We still have people, uh, have spots in the kitchen. You're introverted and you want to go hide with knives and cantaloupe? (laughs) Whatever's back there, I don't know. There are kitchen spots that still need to be filled. ARCF, I want to, I know, this is, I know this is hard to pull off, but I really am asking every single one of you to ask the question, how can I play a role, not can I play a role? Ask how. Maybe you're so slammed, all you can do is show up for an hour to help decorate a little bit before, and you give that hour, at least you are a part of the mission of God of making disciples, Okay? Sherry's back there, and she can give you more details about some of those spots. And as soon as we're done, I'm going to pray quickly. And Our response time is not going to be thinking and praying. Our response time is going to be doing. 
Oh, that word was hard. Doing. Oh. I have to do something. I was going to sit here and listen. He's making me do stuff. How can we pursue unity? How can we build unity while going and telling others about Jesus? And this is going to sound like I'm joking, but I'm not. Have a barbecue and talk Giants baseball. I know, it's like bingo. I couldn't think of what those two words were going to be. Have a barbecue and talk Giants baseball, okay? Here's the deal. Some of you are like Mike Martinez. You're going to find a way very quickly to talk about spiritual things like that because you've got that gift. The rest of us have to dip our toe into the shallow end of the pool and like, ooh, it's cold, and then like warm up, okay? Hey, if you don't have the gift of evangelism, talk Giants baseball and see where you're at 30 minutes later. If you're in the room and you don't know Jesus, the conspiracy's out. We want you to know and love Jesus. There. Our secret is out. Have a barbecue and talk Giants baseball. Why? Hospitality can display the unity of Christ, the unity that the church has in Christ. Did you know that? Did you know that? How are people supposed to see Christians that disagree on big stuff be brothers and sisters? How are people supposed to see that unless we're in relationship? Right? He has a Bernie sign in his front yard. He has a Trump sign in his front yard. And they're besties. How do they, what? And both of them give the same answer because they have the same message. They say the blood of Jesus makes us brothers. And I don't have a box for that. Doesn't matter whether you watch CNN. Doesn't matter whether you watch Fox. I don't have a box for that brotherhood. I don't have a category for it. Church, there are ways to pursue unity. Join a summer disciple group at the back table today because groups are starting and you need each other. Follow five Christians on Facebook that drive you bananas and then pray through your own responses to see what kind of humility the Lord will engender and how unity can be created. Find what your role's gonna be in Bible day camp. Not if I can serve, but how can I serve? Doing something together, a big church-wide project for the glory of God, that's a great way to pursue unity of mission. And go tell people about Jesus by being hospitable. Serve good food and invite people over and be kind. I just gave you, Mike Martinez, I'm, I'm serious. If, you, if you've got experience or gifting, evangelism is this thing. For 90% of us, you need to vacuum the floor, buy some good bratwurst, invite friends over, cook the bratwurst, and play outburst. Like evangelism is not as scary as you think it is. You get into relationship and the Holy Spirit, I promise, will do the rest. Get into relationship. Get into relationship. Get into relationship. I am gonna pray. Holy Spirit, you know very well that I can't even get myself to do stuff, much less doing everything in my heart and in my capacity to persuade this family. But you, Holy Spirit, you convict and you move and you shape. And so I thank you in advance, believing there are some people who are about to 
figure out, they've been meaning to figure out their role in Bible Day Camp, and they're gonna do so today, and I thank you for that. That they've um, not gotten into a group yet, and they're gonna do that. Um, God, I thank you that you've already been working in people's hearts, that as COVID restrictions slowly roll back and as the weather's getting good, I thank you that you've already been working in people's hearts saying, I need to have a barbecue and invite my neighbors over. And me saying something was just a confirmation. God, I thank you for working in your people. I thank you that you are our creator and our father and our savior. I thank you for one spirit and one mission and one message and one destiny. God, you're so gracious to us. Now move your people for the glory of the name of Jesus. Move your people right now. In your precious name we pray, God's people said. The back table is where you can respond in two of those ways. On your phone, on Facebook is where you can respond. And then uh, Bel Air is down sunrise if you're buying excellent bratwurst. Go do your thing. I love you guys.